That's a great song, isn't it? I didn't need to make the video that long, but I was just enjoying listening to the song. Uh, We are so glad that you're here this morning as we prepare for Thanksgiving. We're actually going to do something a little bit different than what we normally do on Sunday mornings. I'm actually going to let you talk in church. Uh, So what I'd like to do at this time, many of you probably have this tradition already where you sit around your Thanksgiving table and you share about what you're thankful for. I'd like for us just right now in groups of three or four, we're going to play that video, that little song again. And as we listen to it, just get in groups of three or four and just share what you're thankful for this Thanksgiving. On your mark, get set, go. Go ahead and stand up. I just want to hear from you guys. What, what did you guys come up with as everybody finds their way back to their seat? What did you come up with? What are some of the things, just call it out, it's okay, you can talk in church, I'll give you permission. What are some of the things that we're thankful for this year? Somebody just call some family, what else? Health, what else? God, excellent. Sunday school, no. <laughs> what else? Someone from this section back here, what did you guys your beautiful wife. Amen to that. My beautiful wife. Not your beautiful wife, but amen for my beautiful wife. What else? Your church. Excellent. Anything else? Anybody else? His provision. Awesome. Well, this morning, I, I think most of us have things that we're thankful for, but my question that I thought about this week is, how do we actually demonstrate that we're thankful for the things that God has given us in our life? How is it that we actually show our gratitude? Because we can say thank you. I mean, you you can say thank you. You can write a thank you note, and that kind of shows gratitude. But how do we live out our thankfulness and our gratitude before God? And so we're going to look at a passage this morning. And I'm going to be honest, when I first read this passage, I, I didn't think it really had anything to do with Thanksgiving. But the more time I spent in that passage, the more I realized um, that this was really about how we can live out our thanks to God for the things that he's blessed us with. So we're going to be in 1 Timothy chapter 6, beginning in verse 17, and it says this, Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to enjoy. Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, sharing, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come so that they may take hold of the life that is real. How many of you want to take hold of life that is real? I know I do. Can I get an amen? All right, thank you. Like I said, it's okay to talk in church. I need your help this morning. This is a great message. It's very encouraging, very exciting to think about all the things that God has blessed us with. Very exciting for us. Well, I know when, if you're anything like me, when you read that first part, he says, I instruct those who are rich. And if you're like me, then you start thinking, well, I drive a 15-year-old truck. My wife drives an 11-year-old used minivan. Uh, You know, I just don't see myself as being rich. Like, I look at people on TV, even some of the people that live here in Georgetown, and I look at them, and I look at the cars they drive and some of the stuff that they have, and I'm like, okay, that's rich. I'm not rich, right? I'm not rich. But here's just a few statistics that kind of put things a little bit in perspective. And, And I think most of us would probably say, you know what? I'm not really rich. I'm not Donald Trump or Bill Gates type rich. But just listen to a couple of these statistics about wealth worldwide. If your family income is over $10,000 per year, you are more wealthy, you are richer than 84% of the world's population. Over $10,000 
in one year for your family, right? That's not a whole lot. If you make over thirty-four k, thirty-four thousand dollars in one year, then you are the top ninety-nine percent, right? You are the one percent. You guys remember that whole movement? If you make over thirty-four thousand dollars a year, you are the one percent in the world. If you make one thousand five hundred dollars, fifteen hundred. Fifteen hundred, not thousand. Fifteen hundred dollars. You're in the top twenty percent of the world. That's fifteen hundred dollars a year. And get this: half of the world's population lives on less than two dollars and fifty cents per day. So that Starbucks coffee that you had when you came in this morning that cost you five dollars for a medium, that could have fed two people for an entire day in the rest of the world, right? In half of the world, that could have fed two people. That's pretty, pretty crazy. And so when we think about it. In reality, we are rich. Now, I don't tell you all of these things so that you'll feel guilty as an American or anything like that. That's not the point of this. The point of this is for us to realize how much God has really given us, how richly blessed we really are, um, even financially, even if we don't feel like we're rich compared to the other people around us. Reality is, we are very rich. Now, I want to point something else out about this this passage. Uh, Paul here is speaking specifically about money. But I think we can expand our definition of what it means to be rich beyond just money because I think there are people here that are, they're rich in time, right? Their kids have moved out. They've got empty nests. They've got extra time. They don't have four kids under the age of five like some people do. Um, I'm not going to say any names, but if you've got four kids under the age of five, you're pretty busy. I, I can speak from experience. Some people have a wealth of experience. You've been in your field of of uh, work or of study for a number of years. Maybe you've retired and you have a wealth of experience that you have to offer other people. Other people have a wealth of space, like you have extra bedrooms in your house that that you're not using, and and it's something that could be used, something that you can be thankful for. So as we think about being rich, let's, let's try to think beyond just the normal definition of rich and think about the the a major amount of just time, talents, abilities, things that we have in our life that God has blessed us with. And the question still remains, how do we demonstrate that we're thankful for those things? I mean, we can get on our knees and say, God, I, I thank you for my health. I thank you. God, I thank you that I've got money in my bank account, that I know when I go to HEB, I swipe that little card that I'm going to be able to walk out with food, right? How do, we, how do we actually demonstrate, live a life that says, thank you? Well, I think if we look in the first section here. Verse 17, it says, instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty on wealth of wealth, but on who? But on God. The very first way that I think we see from this passage that we can demonstrate our thanks is to live a life of humility with properly placed faith. We live a life of humility with properly placed faith. Uh, who can finish this statement for me? Blank is the root of all evil. Money, right? Yeah. It's actually, that statement comes from earlier in this chapter where Paul says not money is the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. So wealth is not bad. Wealth is not bad. What Paul is talking about earlier, he's actually talking to those who don't have money. And now in this section, he's talking to those who do have money. And he's telling those who don't have money, don't make that your number one pursuit. Because it's when you start pursuing that wealth and those riches that people start to do strange and weird things that they wouldn't normally do just so they can get more money. I mean, turn on the news and think about how many bankers are going to jail and uh, 
guys from Wall Street are going to jail, and people are going to jail all because they're trying to get more money, right? And so it's not money itself that's bad. It's the love of money. It's when you love money more than you love God that you have a problem. And so Paul warns against that, but he doesn't say that wealth is bad. He doesn't say that it's bad to have wealth. Uh, Abraham was wealthy. Job was wealthy. Solomon were, were all extremely rich and wealthy. And so we can see from Scripture that God chooses to bless these people for a purpose. He chooses to bless them. So it's not wrong to be rich, but it is wrong to be arrogant, to be prideful. See, what happens to a lot of us when we have an abundance of something, we think immediately that that makes us better than somebody else. Like, I, I must be better because I drive a nicer car, or I live in a better neighborhood, or my wife is hotter than his wife, so I must be more blessed by Jesus, right? And so we, we think that all of these things make us more blessed, or, or sometimes we fall into the trap that the Pharisees fell into, that, hey, I must be on better terms with God than that person because I've got more. And Paul is, is warning the rich people here. He says, look, don't be arrogant. Don't be arrogant. In fact, in James, James tells us that uh, in James chapter 2, there were people who were seeing rich people come and visit the church. And they were seeing some of these prominent people of the city that were coming to visit the church. And they would put them up front. They would give them a place of recognition and they would recognize them before the church. Oh, we're so honored to have such and such a person with us today and look how great they are because of how much money they have. And James says, don't do that. Don't show favoritism to people, right? In, in those days, it was putting people up front. In our day, we would have to reserve a seat in the back because that's where everybody wants to sit. Um, everybody likes to sit in the back. But James is saying, look, don't do that. Don't promote people just because they have wealth. And, and that's where we get that little bit of arrogance. It, we start to think that we're better because we have something or because our life looks better. And sometimes that leads us to think, well, maybe I'm on better terms with God than they are. But really, when we talk about that humility, it's humility before man. But I think in order to get that right, we first have to have our humility before God right. We've got to have our humility before God right. And when we start to recognize that every single thing that we have in our life comes from God himself, then it's a little bit difficult to be arrogant. When you recognize that the job that you have that pays for your house and pays for your car is there because of God's provision, that he opened the doors for you to get in there and to have that job, that's God's provision. That's God at work in your life. You have to give him thanks. You have to recognize him for that. Now, I know some people are saying, man, I worked really hard to get where I am. You have no idea how hard I worked. I don't doubt it, but I'm sure that there's maybe someone out there who worked just as hard, maybe even harder, but they didn't get the opportunity that you got. And sometimes it's the same with our study. You may say, you know what, I've worked really hard in my education to get the job where I am today. And maybe you did study really hard. But maybe there's somebody who studied just as hard or even harder that still didn't get the same, presented with the same opportunities or vice versa. Maybe you studied harder than somebody else in college and they're the ones who got straight A's and got the, the job offer and you didn't but you were the one that put all the work in. It's because we have to recognize that God has ordained certain things, that God works in our lives. Uh, and when we recognize that, it brings us to a point of humility, that we recognize that there is absolutely nothing good in us. If there's anything good in our lives, it's because God has given it to us, right? And we recognize that, and that brings us to a point of humility. Economists argue that your income over your lifetime is largely determined by where you live. 
How many of us in here determined the place that we would be born? Anybody? Like you said, hey, I want to be born here. None of us did, right? We didn't have any control over that. Who did? God did. Acts 17, 26 says God has determined the times and places that man should live. So God has determined where we should live. And, and that puts a lot of things into perspective. Another verse that I really like is 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. It says, who makes you so superior? What do you have that you didn't receive? If, in fact, you did receive it, why do you boast as if you hadn't received it? Paul is, is writing to the Corinthians and he's saying, look, why are you boasting as if you produced this good stuff in your life? As if you did it all by yourself? Now, let me say this. I'm not saying that we shouldn't work hard and that we shouldn't study hard because I believe that those are very biblical principles, that God calls us to work hard at whatever we do. And if we're in school, our job is to study hard. And I'm not saying that that, that is negated But what I am saying is that we recognize, hey, God has provided all of these things for us. God has opened these doors for me. Who is it that gave you the intellect that you have to be able to think the way that you think to do the job that you do? It was God that blessed you with that. It was God that blessed you with that. There's a a great verse in Ecclesiastes 9 that I really love. I think it illustrates this point very well that, that really it's not about us and about how hard we work or how hard someone else works. Uh, Listen to this, Ecclesiastes 9.11. And I saw under the sun that the race is not to the swift, or the battle to the strong, or the bread to the wise, or riches to the discerning, or favor to the skillful. Rather, time and chance happen to them all. Time and chance happen to to them all. Solomon is writing here, and he's saying, look, it's not always the smartest person that gets the straight A's. It's not always the hardest worker that gets the promotion. Time and chance happen to us all. Sometimes you're just in the right place at the right time. And when he's using those words of time and chance happen to them all, he's, he's putting in human terms the reality of God's providence. That, hey, sometimes God provides something for someone else that he doesn't provide to us and vice versa. Um, one of the things that I love to do most is hunting. And I love hunting so much because it reminds me of the reality of God's providence in my life because I can go to the woods and I can have the best rifle, and I can, have, I can be the best shot and have the best camouflage, but if the wind shifts and the deer smell me, they're out of there. I don't even get to take a shot. Or if a cold front blows through and it's raining when I'm out in the woods and the deer aren't moving and I don't see a deer, guess what? I'm coming home with nothing. It's the same, I, I think about gardening the same way. If I could be the best gardener, have the greenest thumb in all the world, yet if there's a drought or a freeze or it's too hot or too cold, then my, my plants aren't going to grow and I'm not going to have anything, right? That time and chance, it's, it's when you think about those things. Like for me with hunting, I love sitting down to a meal after I've provided, you know, I've, I've brought something home and I can tell my kids, look, kids, God has literally provided this meal for us. Like he could have had the animals walk in front of somebody else, but he provided this meal for us, right? Time and chance happen to them all. He's providing for us. It's when we recognize that that I feel like we really begin to understand our humility and live out our humility that, God, I have not provided this for myself, but you have provided it. Thank you so much. And when we have that humility, I think it also brings us to a point where we have our faith properly placed, that we begin to trust him more for the provision of the things in our life. The more we we come before him humbly, the easier it is to trust him. The more we trust him, the easier it is to be humble. 
The more we become humble, the more we trust him. It's this cycle that we just, we just keep going and going and going. God has all of these things for us. Um, Paul says, I've learned the secret of being content. I know what it is to have plenty, and I know what it is to be in need. And he says, but I have learned the secret of being content. No matter what it is, I recognize that I am here in my situation because God has placed me here and that he's got a purpose for that. That, to me, shows humility. That, to me, shows someone who's got their faith properly placed. As I thought about this this week, about properly placed faith, I I started thinking through, how do I know if I've got my faith properly placed? And as, as I thought about it, a couple questions God kept bringing to my mind from experiences in my life. And I, I'm willing to bet that some of us here have the same experiences, maybe the same um, questions that God brings up into your life. And one of them was, um, when the stock market falls 500 points in a day, do you get overly anxious? And the times when that has happened to me, and, and my answer is yes, and I start worrying about finances, I, I really begin to think, Who am I trusting for my financial provision, the stock market or God? When I see on the news that our country is going to be welcoming refugees from the Middle East, am I overcome by a paralyzing fear that something bad is going to happen? And in that moment, as 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 quite honestly, a little bit of that stuff starts running through my mind, and I'm thinking, "Is what's my response here, God? How should I respond? What if something bad happens?" And then I remember that the psalmist says, The Lord is a strong tower, my refuge and my strength. All who run to him are safe. Who am I trusting in for my protection, for my physical protection, myself, the military, or am I trusting in God himself? Not saying that we don't have to be discerning and wise about some of the decisions that are made, but who am I ultimately trusting in for my protection? Here's the one that's hit me the most recently. Next year, our triplets will be going to kindergarten. So they're going to be going from being at home with mommy and daddy all day to not being with mommy and daddy all day. They're going to be spending more of their awake hours at school than they are around us. And quite honestly, at times, I get a little bit fearful. Like, have, who's going to be talking to them? What are they going to be teaching them? Do I know the, the teachers that they're going to be interacting with? How do I know that they're teaching them the same things that we would teach them in the same way that we would teach them? And that little bit of fear comes over me. And in those moments, I can hear God say, Chuck, do you really trust me with your kids or not? Do you trust that I have helped you prepare them for where they need to be? And in those moments, I find myself coming before God and saying, you know what, God, I'm trusting in you. I recognize that my children are a gift from you. I humbly acknowledge that. And I'm going to trust you. I'm going to trust in you for that. It's, uh, it's a little difficult to be, to be arrogant when you recognize that it's someone else that it's God himself who's providing all those things for you. And the more you recognize that provision, I believe the easier it is to trust him. So the first way that we can show our thanks to God is to live humbly, live in humility with our properly placed faith in God. The second thing we see is in this very last part of verse 17. Let's look at that verse again. Instruct those who are rich in the present age not to be arrogant or to set their hope on the uncertainty of wealth, but on God, who richly provides us with all things to what? To enjoy. He provides us all things to enjoy. I got to go to a birthday party this last week, and uh, I can tell you, man, nothing made me realize that the, the little boy that we'd given a birthday present to was thankful than seeing him play with that toy. 
right? I mean, he can, te- he can stand up and say, thank you. You know, you can write a thank you note to someone, but when you see someone using and enjoying that thing that you got them, like their face lights up and they're playing with it, they're rolling around on the ground and all they want to do is play with that toy, you feel their thanks. You can see their thanks. And God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given us. In fact, I believe that God wants us to enjoy the things that he's given us so much that, that he actually wrote an entire book about enjoying the things that he's given us. The book of Ecclesiastes. Let me just read a few verses from this book. He says this in Ecclesiastes 2, There is nothing better for man than to eat, drink, and enjoy his work. I have seen that even this is from God's hand. Chapter 3, he says, I know that there is nothing better for them to, than to rejoice and enjoy the good life. It's also the gift of God whenever anyone eats, drinks, and enjoys all his efforts. Again, and later in chapter 3, I've seen that there is nothing better than for a person to enjoy his activities because that is his reward. Chapter 5 of Ecclesiastes. Here's what I've seen is good. It's appropriate to eat, drink, and experience good in all the labor one does under the sun during the few days of his life God has given him because that is his reward. God has also given riches and wealth to every man, and he has allowed him to enjoy them, to take his reward, and to enjoy his labor. This is a gift from God. Now, one of the very first things I learned about reading the Bible when I was a kid was that if something's repeated, it must be important. And usually you find in a passage or in a chapter that something gets repeated like two or three times. We have an entire book that repeats God's desire for us to enjoy the things that he has given us. And, and what I'm not talking about here is hedonism, that like we just run out and we do whatever makes us feel good. What I am saying is that God has blessed us with things in our lives that we ought to enjoy. And I wonder, when is the last time you enjoyed something this much? So scrumptious. Is this hand shucked? Mm-hmm. Would you like some more chicken, Bob? Mmm. Leo, do you want the breast? No, 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 that's fine. Eat up. Mm, yeah, great biscuits, great corn, great potatoes. You want some more salad, Bob? Yeah, I think I do. Pile it high and deep, will you please? Could you get that tomato off there, please?
All right, so be honest. When's the last time you enjoyed a meal that much? Anybody in here remember the last time you enjoyed something that much? Here's what I hope happens this week when you go home for Thanksgiving. I hope as you sit around your Thanksgiving <laughs> dinner, just take a second and just start going, mmm, oh, oh, mmm. This corn, is it hand-shucked, right? And just enjoy the things that God has blessed you with. This last week, it really hit me. Do you realize that when God created us, he did not have to create us with our five senses, taste, touch, smell, hear, and feel. He could have made the entire world black and white. We would have never known the difference. He could have made uh, absolutely everything monotone, like everybody would sound like Ben Stein, Bueller, 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 right? And we would never know the difference, but he allows for us to experience all five of these senses. And so I wonder as you go home for, for, Christmas, or for Thanksgiving this week, as you feel Aunt Ruth's beard on your skin when you give her a big old hug, right? Enjoy that moment. As you smell the turkey in the oven baking for hours and hours, and you look forward to hearing the crisp skin as you slice it open, right? And, and you, you hear the kids playing in the other room, or you get to hear stories from your parents or grandparents, maybe stories that you've heard a hundred times before. Maybe it's, it's taking a moment to step outside and look at the beautiful colors of the leaves or the sun as it sets or rises. Maybe it's, it's the smell of the pumpkin pie coming from the oven, Whatever it is, just take time to enjoy the things that God has blessed you with. When's the last time you enjoyed something that you already have, the way that Bob enjoyed that meal from Faye? When's the last time you enjoyed driving your car? Something that God has blessed you with. When's the last time that you just enjoyed your house? Maybe as you clean it, just give thanks for God, to God for the house that's over your head, the roof that's over your head that doesn't leak. When's the last time that you gave thanks to God for, for your kids, just hearing them laugh in the other room? Let's take time to enjoy the things that God has given us. It's not wrong to enjoy the things that he has given us. And I don't know about you, but whenever I find something that I really enjoy, like a TV show or a food, I want to share it with somebody else. Anybody else ever experienced that? Like you find something new and you want to share it with somebody else? I, I'm that way with a lot of things except pumpkin pie. You've got to get your own pumpkin pie. That's, that's all me. Uh, but whenever I find something that I get excited about, I find myself talking about it all the time. And here's what I think our last way that we can show thanks to God for the things that he's given us in our life. It's to use what he has given us. To use what he has given us, right? That we would tell other people about it. That we would not only enjoy it, but that we would use it. Verse 18, he says, Instruct them to do what is good, to be rich in good works, to be generous, willing to share, storing up for themselves a good reserve for the age to come, so that they will take hold of life that is real. Take hold of life that is real. God wants us to use what he has given us. All the gifts that he gives us are to be used. He tells us twice here. He says, do good, be rich in good works. Now, I think for us as Americans, a lot of times we hear about something needs to be done, somebody needs help, and our first question is, well, can I just write a check? Right? Anybody ever been there? Like, I'd rather just write a check than give up my Saturday afternoon. And what Paul is saying here is that, hey, you may be extremely wealthy, but you're not exempt from giving of your time and your labor. That there's something special that happens when you go out and you do good works, and people see that you're doing them. Right? Our vision 
is that we would go into our community and allow every man, woman, and child repeated opportunities to see, hear, and respond to the life-changing reality of Jesus Christ. We want them to see it. We want them to see our good works. And then he says this. He says, uh, be generous and be sharing. Be willing to share. We serve a generous God. Romans 8, 32 tells us this. It tells us that God is generous, that he did not spare even his own son, but he sent him to die on the cross for our sins. We serve a generous God. And as those who've put their trust in Jesus Christ, we ought to reflect that generosity with the way that we use whatever it is that he's given us. We have a family in our church that this summer they opened up their home to our youth director so that he could live with them over the summer instead of having to drive back and forth from Belton. And he lived with them. And I I can tell you that that was a huge blessing, not just for him, but also for the families that he was ministering to, that he had more time to spend with the, the teenagers that he's trying to minister to. And that was a huge blessing. They were rich in space and they said, hey, let's be generous with our space. Let's open it up and use it for God's glory. Um, my son, Bear, is four and a half years old, and whenever we talk about what it means to trust in Jesus, we ask him, hey kids, what does it mean to trust in Jesus? He's the first one to speak up, and he shouts it out from the back of the car, share your toys! And we try to coach him like for a little bit deeper answer, but as I thought about that this week, I thought, man, that, that's actually a pretty deep answer, that he's saying that when we've had our life changed by a generous God, that we should be generous, that we should share all the good things that we have in our life. And for him, that's toys. So sharing his toys is a way that he demonstrates that he's thankful that he's trusting in Jesus. Some of us have time. Some of us have experience. Some of us have money. And some of us have room. But we all have something that we're rich in that we can use for God's glory. We all have something that we can give. Last section here, he says, so that you can experience life that is real. So that you can experience life that is real. Now, when he says that, he's actually pointing to two things. He's pointing to eternal life in Jesus Christ, but he's also pointing to the new life that we have in the here and now. That we would live lives that would fill us with joy. I, I don't know about you, but I've, I've never had a time uh, when I serve someone else, when I do good for someone else, that I feel bad about myself, Right? It does feel good. It does feel like that abundant life that Jesus desires for us. But that's not the the end of the game, right? The end is that we would be sharing with them, we would be generous with them, we'd be serving them, pointing them to Jesus Christ. That's the point. Matthew 5 says something very similar to what we saw in 1 Peter chapter 2 a few weeks ago. Jesus says, Let your light shine before men that they would see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. The whole point of doing all this good is so that we can draw people into God's kingdom. That we would have the opportunity to say, you know what? I'm so willing to serve you because God was willing to serve me by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for my sins. And when we do that, we demonstrate our thankfulness. Um, We have a perfect opportunity for us as a church next Sunday to do all of these things. To demonstrate our humility demonstrating that we've properly placed our faith in God, to enjoy the things that he's given us and to use the things that he has given us with Serve Sunday next week. Um, Some of us have been blessed with strength, and we've got a couple projects that are going to require some muscle. Um, Some of us have been blessed with lawn equipment 
We've got some yards that need to be done. Some of us have been blessed with the ability to scrub someone else's toilet without being totally grossed out. And we've got that job that needs to be done. We have jobs for everybody to do. And this is just a perfect way for us. You know, some people have asked me, why are you canceling your worship service? And I've said, well, we're not canceling worship. We're just going to worship through service. Right? We're going to go worship God through service. And we're going to use this as an opportunity. When people say, why would you serve? Why would you not have your Sunday morning service? And we can say, well, we just wanted to come and show you the love of Jesus Christ and have that conversation with them. Because in reality, the thing that we have to be most thankful for is Jesus Christ himself. Is Jesus Christ himself. And the way that we demonstrate our thanks to him begins with humility. We have to recognize that we are sinful people. And we have to recognize that that we are unable to do anything about our sin problem in and of ourselves. And so we must properly place our faith, not in our good works, but in Jesus Christ and his death on the cross. And as we do that, and as we begin this new life with Jesus Christ, then we move into that, that enjoyment of new life. That we would enjoy realizing that our sins are forgiven, and when we pass from this world, we'll spend eternity with God in heaven. But we also have a new and abundant life that God wants us to enjoy right now as we become more and more like his son, Jesus Christ, every single day. And then we would move to using the things that God has given us. Those who are in Jesus Christ, who've trusted in him, have been blessed with spiritual gifts. In addition to their, their material blessings, we're blessed with a spiritual gift that's to be used to build up God's people. And as God's people, we then go out and we reach those who have yet to put their trust in Jesus Christ. What a great way to demonstrate our thanks to God than to start with our humility, placing our faith in him, enjoying everything that he's given us, and then using all that he's given us for his glory to draw more people into his kingdom. This morning, as we move into our time of take two, we normally take a couple minutes out of our service, and you'll notice in your bulletin there's a spot for you to just write down what God is saying to you this morning. Um, We call it take two. But this morning, I'd like us to do something a little bit different. As we prepare for Thanksgiving, I do want you to write down what God is saying to you this morning. And I'd also like for you to write down maybe what you're going to do about what he's saying to you. Because of what he's saying to me, I'm going to do this this week. And then I just want you to spend some time in prayer, thanking God for all the things that are in your life. And the the band is going to play here for a little while, and then we're going to sing a song together. But As your time with the Lord comes to a close, as you spend that time in prayer and you go through all the things that you're thankful for, we have communion set up here on either side. And uh, normally we distribute the elements and we take it together. But I I just want to encourage you, as you spend some time in prayer and you feel led to get up and come take communion, you can do that as an individual, as a family, with your community group, however you feel led. I just want to encourage you to come and receive communion, remembering everything that God has blessed us with. And let me just read what Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, chapter 10. He, uh, he says this. He says, For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. On the night when he was betrayed, the Lord Jesus took bread, gave thanks, and broke it, and said, This is my body which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup and said, This is the cup of the new covenant established in my blood. 
do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. This morning, the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ is the most important thing that we have to be thankful for. And as you spend time in prayer, and then as you come and receive communion and take communion, just be thankful for all that God has given you. Let's take some time and just give thanks to our Lord.